0: Hello and welcome back to another dispatch from Holly McKay. Today is going to be a little bit different format. We are letting Holly give some notes on articles that she'd written, she's written. How are you today, Holly?
1: I'm doing okay, Dennis. Thank you for asking.
0: Okay, very good. Hey, before we get started on the articles for this week's uh, for, for this episode of, of dispatches, um, you started off this dispatch by um, mentioning your friend um uh, Pierre. Could you say something a little bit about that? Because, you know, I Absolutely. I know, uh,
1: so yeah, Pierre was a sort of a long term Fox News cameraman, an absolute veteran cameraman, who covered every major conflict over the past few decades. I'd been in Iraq and Afghanistan and just just absolutely everywhere. And he was sort of somebody that was known to known to reporters as just this kind of uh, vivacious Sort of energy, um, you know, with his big mustache and, and he was this very sort of, um, tall and, and, and big presence and just one of those very rare souls that you meet in life that just is so pure in their intentions and just loved the work that he did and was so supportive of everybody else around. And I know, you know, with me and when I was in Ukraine, just constantly checking. Did I need anything? You know, um, you know, my, he said, you know, when we're going to evacuate, we'll take you, we have a safe house. You know, when I got burned, he said, do you need anything? He said, I'll send you bandages and just, just constantly, this sort of um just a beautiful figure and someone very sort of reassuring uh, to me when I was there being a writer, you, you are alone. And, and, um, it, you know, it, it comes with a, a very different set of challenges when you don't sort of have a team around you and, and you know, if things go to hell, then you're kind of on your own. But when Pierre was around, you always just felt like he would always, you know, take me under my under his wing if, if need be. And, and just, just I have nothing but, but wonderful things to say about who he was as a human being and he was tragically killed, um, in an artillery strike along with Fox's sort of local fixer, Sasha, and, um, and then Benny, a reporter, also a wonderful Lovely, very experienced war reporter was, uh, was very badly injured. So, you know, Benji's got a long road of recovery and we wish him the best. Um, but, but losing Pierre was just, it was absolutely tragic. Um, and I think the only thing that you can reconcile with that is, you know, people really do put their lines their lives in the line for this job and camera people they often don't get really any credit you know reporters are usually the face of the stories but it's the camera people who i know i always turn to for advice for logistics they understand the big picture in a, in a very different way and, and they're so pivotal to the work and you know the only i guess something i can take away with that is is really he died doing something he absolutely loved and wouldn't have been doing anything else and, and I'm sure didn't want to be anywhere else in the world at that point. So, um, it's it, absolutely tragic loss and every, every war zone, a loss is a tragedy. But with Pierre, it was, it was something that I think a lot of reporters and a lot of us who knew him, um, it really hit home.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. And, uh, I admire the way you're so journalistically describing this, but I also, uh want the the people that are listening to know that when you first described this to me and it was fresh you lost a friend and i think it's important to acknowledge that Mm. this is an
1: incredible human
0: so there we go okay so you have uh three articles in this this dispatch and uh i this is this being a new format um your comments on, on, on each of them. First, uh, the, uh, the article on what Russians do when they occupy a city.
1: Right. Um, yeah, so I spent a lot of last week really interviewing people as they were being evacuated, as they were coming into Kyiv city from the surrounding cities um bucha some of epin uh these cities are all um little cities in the kiev oblast just outside of the city and unfortunately they've experienced a lot of heavy fighting and um in in many cases have come under russian control so i was very sort of curious to understand well what what happens when it falls to russian control what 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 goes on um and really just I was absolutely, it was so chilling what the, what people were telling me, you know, they'd been hiding in bunkers and then suddenly, you know, with, with all this fighting and then, you know, often it would be two Russian soldiers that would come and really go door to door, knocking on every door, trying to find out who lived there and what was happening. And the sort of the common denominators that I really found was that the soldiers would, the first thing they would do is always take people's phones. Um, And so, you know, that, You know, it's very daunting. That's cutting off people's lifeline. It's cutting off their communications ability Um, and knowing full well, even if they can escape, you know, you can't exactly go and buy a new phone in Ukraine at the moment. That's just not a thing. There is nothing opened. So... Often in these cases, the communications lines were cut anyway, but they were still going in and taking people's phones and then really basically going through their homes and taking food and taking, um, you know, whatever possessions that they could possibly, you know, sell to make money or clothes. And it really just seemed that, A, the Russians had nothing, Um, but B, that, you know, they were just continuing to deprive these people who had very little and were trying to survive without heat, without electricity, without water. I mean, it was really just terrible. And then I would hear so many stories about, it was almost this game of Russian roulette where somebody would go outside for a cigarette and they would just be shot dead. Or another case where one of the men said his neighbor was trying to deliver bread to a neighboring village and the Russians considered him an activist and shot him dead. Um And then, you know, just this horrible sort of game. And then almost, Every person that I spoke to that eventually tried to flee through a humanitarian corridor was shot at. Um, so you can really see this is just it's almost this very sick and twisted game, and I think when also when Russians are occupying a city they, they really don't have any idea what they're doing, so they may have sort of forced the Ukrainians to retreat, but then when they get inside. It's sort of like, what do we do now? And, and sort of terrorizing the population. So, um, it, it really was something that I found to be incredibly chilling, just how, how sort of nasty and, and this, this, this war is.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, that's something that's, uh, is certainly to be followed up on as, uh, this thing progresses because I, 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 I am also very curious, you know, what's the Russian plan once they occupy the areas? How are they going to administer them because they've they basically taken over, but that's, you know, something to watch. Um interesting. Um the, the next one that you wrote about um so you also explored uh uh saboteurs that were uh, uh coming into Ukrainian controlled areas and how they were getting in, what they were doing and and what the Ukrainians were doing about it. So tell tell us a little about that article.
1: Right, and there's a lot of sabotage, and this is something that I've been sort of looking at the entire time I was there, and basically these are Russian infiltrators that come in, they mark targets for airstrikes, they try to get information, some of them are considered to be part of these assassination groups that are trying to assassinate people like President Zelensky, like other key figures in the Ukrainian government, Um and so they sort of operate in groups and, and try to get around, and the big thing is, is really just citizen reporting. So a lot of the times the citizens will notice something suspicious, somebody doesn't really know their way around, um, you know, perhaps they're only speaking Russian. They can often tell by the accents, you know, that they're not necessarily uh, Russian-speaking Ukrainians. Um, so a lot of the time it's citizens reporting suspicious behavior and then the intelligence team's taking it from there. But um, but something, you know, that's obviously very disturbing that I heard a few days ago when I was visiting a territorial defense base in Kiev, um, right sort of across from where that TV tower was hit a few weeks ago, um, where also the Holocaust Museum or Holocaust uh, Memorial was hit. So basically in that situation, just a few days earlier, they had... Um, some, some Russian saboteurs that tried to infiltrate the base because they believed that they heard sort of gunfighting, which was actually the territorial defenses training. But for some reason in sort of a twisted communications, and this sort of shows you just how sort of ill prepared this, this whole event is from the Russian side. Um, they thought that somehow that the Russians were in this base fighting and thought they would go to help and tried to pass this police checkpoint right outside. And the way that they tried to pass to get in was in a, in a Ukrainian ambulance, you know, basically wearing Ukrainian ambulance uniforms. And then, uh, the Ukrainians have this sort of stripe that they tie around their, uh, their right arm, which was yellow initially, but I believe that changed because um, then, you know, the Russians started to wear yellow bands as well. So now that they started wearing blue bands, so you had these Russians that were basically pretending to be Ukrainians and, and very disturbingly going places um, in, in Ukrainian ambulances so, so that they could sort of get through checkpoints and things. And so obviously that now causes... Um, Ukrainian soldiers manning these checkpoints and there are many to, to be a lot more suspicious of every ambulance going through. And so there's going to be a lot more sort of stopping and checking and verifying identities and things. And that obviously slows down the emergency help that is going to be needed for, for people as they, um, as they are wounded in battle.
0: Huh. Interesting. Wow. That's, um, uh, another, another aspect of the chaos that that happens in places like that as as people have to adapt to changing conditions um i'm i can't really say i'm surprised but uh i it is disturbing that um the the, these kinds of, of things are in fact happening and thank you for for covering that and exposing it um last one uh, this one, you know, you're, uh, I always love it when you when you write these kinds of things because you know, it it gets right to the people and and the character of of the people that are in affected and in these areas. You, so you wrote this story about a ballet dancer and you being one also. I uh, you know I related to it right off the bat, but uh, who basically has given up their career for a while uh, and and maybe forever um, in order to become a medic to serve their country. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so, uh, Olesky, uh, Potomomkin, if I pronounce that correctly, Potomomkin. Um, so he's sort of one of the absolute principal dancers in Ukraine, as you know, uh, in, especially in those Slavic countries, ballet is just, you know, it's, it, they're some of the best dancers. And, um, so Olesky, is now joined a uh, sort of a territorial defense unit and he is sort of one of their top medics. So um, it just kind of goes to show you how quickly he transitioned from basically, you know, uh, holding a bar to holding bullets and bandages and, and how seamlessly he did that and how willingly he did that. It really just shows you that Ukrainians from every, you know, stripe are, are joining and uh, fighting and taking up arms and doing whatever they can to defend their land. Um, so Olesky, you know, he, he's told me that it, he's always been interested in history and military issues. Um, he always had his own weapon and he always knew how to use a gun. Um, so this is quite common also among Ukrainians is, is many of them have their own gun. Um, they know how to use it. They're very much about sort of the self-defense aspect. and and being able to protect themselves and their loved ones. And Oleski has a family, has children. So I think, you know, for him, he sort of said he was shocked, but also kind of expected at some point that this was going to happen. So immediately after the invasion on February 24th, he basically headed straight uh, to the civilian support wing of the armed forces, the territorial defences, and and um you know was a, very, a trained medic and is using his uh in skills in a very different way and i and i often come across different artists whether they be ballet dancers actors musicians um just you know men and women there are uh, women ballet dancers too that are out there on the front lines as well so it just sort of shows you um that everybody comes together and, and there is no, you know, some of these people are, are very famous among their peers, but yet there is no, um, you know, there's no sort of status or, or fawning over people. This is war. And, um you know, I think it's just incredible to see how people have really just come together uh, in this fight and how determined they are to, to ensure that their land is not occupied by, by the Kremlin.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's uh heroic really. Okay, last one. Um, and this is uh your description of death, destruction and tears in in Ukraine uh and in particular from the from uh Irpin.
1: Yeah, so I spent a lot of time in Irpin um I think a lot of people have probably seen Footage of European, um, there's this blown up bridge that the Ukrainians actually blew up to try to stop the Russian tanks from being able to cross. Um, But you know, since then it's just it's come under enormous fire, and everyday people are trying to evacuate and they're trying to. Um, get them out of Erpin, and it's an incredibly dangerous area. Uh, last weekend, uh, you know, an American filmmaker um, was killed right there in Erpin, so it is a very dangerous area, and I, it, the times that I spent there, it was just, it was constant shelling. Um, I think at one point, an artillery hit maybe 50 feet away from us, so uh, it's it's just been a it's been a very um precarious sort of area that that sort of whole area and it's it's really apocalyptic so there's just all these abandoned cars on one side of the bridge and and inside these cars is, there's just so many baby strollers and there's food and there's just all these livelihoods that have just been absolutely abandoned so that people can cross um, this bridge. And, and it's it's so sad because often you really see the weakest and the most vulnerable people in society, so many old people, and they're just coming out and they're wounded and bleeding and they can't walk and they're coming in a wheelbarrow or they're coming alone and all they've got is a, a tiny plastic bag full of, you know, everything that they've ever, um, you know, earned in their entire lives and, and they're crossing this bridge not necessarily to safety, mind you, because there is nothing you know really safe in Ukraine right now, especially in that area. So they're crossing this bridge, not knowing where they're going to go. Um, you know, hopefully getting a little bit of basic medical help, but but then having to figure out where, what happens now. Where do I go as this di- displaced person in the middle of a war zone? So it's really it's absolutely heartbreaking. And when you see you know these are the victims of war. These are the people that are just old and and coming out sometimes from, you know, two weeks of in a bunker, they haven't eaten, they haven't slept, they haven't, um, you know, had any heat and it's freezing and it's just, it's absolutely tragic. And also, you know, the amount of, of dead bodies as well that, that we, that we have to, you know, that we're witnessing, you know, being sort of wrapped in these blankets and, and brought over and carried over that bridge. And it's just, it's just searing. And, and this one elderly woman, she sort of said to me as I was sort of set, sitting there taking notes and she said, I hope you're taking notes for God's tribunal. And, you know, that was all she could, had to say about, you know, what, what was happening because it, to them, it's just, it's so unfair. And, and there was another man and he had, um, you know, the shrapnel in his eye and his entire eye was just drooping down his face. Um, and, you know, he was sort of just pacing up and down and he was looking for somebody to help him and his wife carry their bags across and, and, you know, so I'm trying to communicate with him and, and take these bags and he is, you know, he's asking why, why are our brothers doing this to us? So it's just, it's confusing and it's, it's absolutely terrifying. And I cannot imagine, you know, having lived your life, um, you know, in relative peace and then have to, to give that up. And, and also a lot of the people that are still left in OPN, um, they won't leave and they usually are old people that, just sort of fit, at this point think they're too old to be a displaced person and and whatever happens happens. So as that city is continuing to be shelled, it's, it's really just a lot of um, civilians and a lot of very, of the most vulnerable people in society who have been left there to die.
0: Yeah. Well, that, um, the sad story, I mean, you know, um, I believe there was a line, uh, a statement from the Pope, um, about sometime last week basically he was he said i i hope somehow people find peace before we turn these cities into cemeteries and uh and the stories of these people begin to be forgotten but they won't be because of the kind of stuff that 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 you write the kind of stuff that you do so thanks holly this is um um i hope the people that listened are uh get a little bit more color uh, beyond the print that, that is there and, and see a little bit more about what you see with your eyes when you go to places like this. So thank you very much and uh, look forward to the next dispatch. Thank you.